Stacking them deep, selling them cheap. That tastes like gasoline, rubber, and victory. We're just out here stacking packs. All right, guys, welcome back to another Stagging Pennies Lady in Black edition. I'm your host, Corey the Joy, joined by my good friend, Mr. Chuck Bush. Hello. Ice Cold Blue Mountain takes Jonathan Merriman. How you doing? And the Pit Road Boats and Woes analyst, front changer, Brad Kozlowski's number two Ford Mustang, Brian Flores. Brian Flores is frozen. Is he answering what? What's he doing? He's frozen with a mustache thing going on. He is. And he's got Tim Richmond looking over his shoulder, as have I. A Randy LaJoy and oil canvas in Dad's office. Big night last night, guys. Why do you have that picture? <laughs> it's a picture of Tim Richmond on a boat in a Speedo. Why, why don't you have that picture? I don't know why it was so readily available and you just whipped it right out. I've got... Uh, so a friend of mine... Uh, a friend of mine's dad was a photographer back in uh, the 70s and 80s and 90s for NASCAR and the Charlotte Observer, and he passed away a couple weeks ago, and um, I got a lot of the photos that he took from back in the 80s and 90s, and I'm working on getting some of the negatives, too. Are you going to make some collages? I don't know. I don't know. Might just make sure that they're uh, archived and put in NASCAR's uh, historical database. Good idea, Chuck. Jonathan, Don't I mean, don't we just love... I mean, what, there's just something about Darlington that gets the blood pumping. What was, I mean, what did you think about that race last night? It was a hell of a race. It was a really good race. Uh, front to back, the playoff guys. It's a good thing you didn't uh, win Daytona, Corey, because odds are if you had, you probably would have hit the wall or hit something or not finished the race because it was absolutely brutal out there for, for guys that uh, weren't named Denny Hamlin or Kyle Larson. I mean, had, had I won Daytona last week, I'd probably be looking at the round of 12. I mean, damn. Got stage points. Uh, I mean, we could have run somewhere between 7th and 9th. The caution came when the pit cycle didn't cycle all the way around. Ryan's back now. He's got another device he's trying to hook up with. Welcome back. Um, but, yeah, killer night by the old Spire Motorsports Chevy team. It was like, I don't know. I'll be honest. Wasn't expecting to run that good. When my uh, my brother and you know a couple buddies, my cousin, we're always talking about like fantasy picks. Who should their lineup be this week? Who's gonna? Who should they hammer? This, that, and the other. Within reason, right? Because you can only I can only give you so many tips without you know hurting whatever this gambling thing we've got. And I was like, I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't. We run twenty second here in the spring. I don't, you know, I don't know if you hammer the seven. I think we'll run somewhere between nineteenth and you know twenty fourth. Wrong. Wrong. That thing was dialed, Chuck. How'd it look? Well, I, I got to be honest with you. My uh, ear, ear, ear molds were on the fritz, so my, I, my the scanner that I was listening to in the MRN broadcast was cutting in and out. So when I saw your car up there, at first I was like, uh, is there already a lap down? Like is, is, like, is he just, you know, in the mix there? <laughs> And then, like, it cut back in, and I heard, and, like, LaJoy's up to, like, eighth place. And I was like, holy shit. Hell yeah. My, my <laughs> was like, thought I, was like. You were keeping up with him, and you were fast. I was like, obviously, something must have happened that I missed. And, you know. But, no, nah, man. Hell yeah. I thought it was a pit cycle. But, I I mean, I, I was I was stoked for you when, when things kind of cycled out and and you were there up front. I mean, well, I think you got up to, what, seventh, sixth or seventh? 
seventh, I believe. Because I looked, I kept looking at the scoreboard. I'm like, I kept looking every time I went by. I'm like, there's definitely like I'm gonna start getting shuffled like when this thing cycles. And then after all the pit cycles cycle around, I I was still seventh. I'm like, what the hell's going on here? I'm not used to it. like that's not supposed to happen. Is this an April Fool's joke? Is this an April Fool's joke in in September? Am I being punked or are the light bulbs out and it was the 47 and the four was out and it was just the seven up there? Yeah, I don't know. How about uh, NASCAR Hall of Famer Mark Martin? You giving you a shout out on Twitter? You know, Mark, oh, Marky Mark um, gave me a shout out. You know, I feel like some people are talking. I'm getting a lot of, a lot of followers on social media. It's amazing what two good weeks and running up front can do for the old confidence as well as our team and you know might juice the podcast up a little bit who knows ryan's back with us hope he's got some service welcome to the show hey i'm back yeah we were uh we were pitting next to you yesterday i thought you're gonna have a nice easy day clean out no siree well we did have we had a clean in because our you know it was, it was it's the best of what could have been what would have been the worst is if you were running like two spots behind us, right? Because you would have cleaned Jesse out, and then you would hit me, and then I would have been mad. And uh, but instead, you were in front of us, so that was uh, you know, made it a little bit easier. Hell, us, we were in between you and Boucher, and we were all running together, so we'd be coming around him and stopping short for you. So it was a little bit of a cluster for us, but it all worked out. I was in front of you guys for four hundred and sixty-five miles, and then. What happened there that did you guys take the wave to get back on a lead lap and then you had some tires there at the end where you guys drove back up to finish? Where did you guys end up? Sixth? Uh, seventh. What happened, Corey, was the pay window open and we went and we got it, buddy. That's what happened there. <laughs> pay window open and we quit messing around with your ass. <laughs> Said, all right, enough's enough. I don't think that was the case. Had to get a little lucky because I got a little unlucky. You know who else got unlucky? Multiple... Hendrick cars, guys. Big implications. I don't know what they were doing. Ryan rode home with me last night since it was late. Didn't want to fall asleep or any of that jazz. So he was there with me. We were watching that incident back. I put the blame on the 18 there. He also put the blame on himself on why they're just running terrible. Running like crap. Running in the back. You expect to get wrecked. But I thought he chopped the three there. And then on that new asphalt, there's just no forgiveness that tank slaps and you're into the fence before you even know it. Pissed off Kyle Bush is great for the sport. It might not be safe for spectators in the garage who just minding their own business, but pissed off Kyle Bush is great, Chuck. It is. And I mean, you know, that puts him on the bubble, which then puts the pressure on that team to perform in both Richmond and Bristol, places that, you know, Bristol, he's had some success there. So that cutoff race, it, it looms large, but that's one race in the playoffs. Does that is that cat, catastrophic for those teams, or is it something that they can easily bounce back from? Ah, uh, dude, it's the playoffs, man. It's not easy to bounce back from that. Um, you know, especially, I don't know, maybe, maybe uh, you know, maybe he's dancing around in some underwear a little bit too much on Samantha Bush's TikToks and some Instagram stories. Maybe a little less TikToking. Little more, obviously, a little less simulation time because he doesn't like that either. So he's adamant he don't like sim time. Seems to like some TikTok videos lately. I did. Did you see him at Ashley Bush's birthday party? Can we talk about this? I didn't see that. 
I, I didn't see it either. I hate that it's gone forever into the cloud, but it was off weekend esque. All I saw was he was passed out in his plane, and John Hunter was signing his belly with the sharpie. It got a little crazy. You know what else got crazy? <laughs> The Hendrick cars wrecking each other. <laughs> that was early in the race. The the Bowman uh, Byron incident, like what lap fifteen ish? It was early. Did the forty eight cut a right front down? What happened? He hit the wall and then he cut a right front and then the the twenty four, I guess, saw him too late and lifted. And I don't know if that upset the car, but he couldn't. He basically just tore the other side of Bowman's car. He couldn't up. get slowed down because if the twenty four committed to run the top. In that corner, if the 48 is going that much slower and the 24 is kind of in a four-wheel drift to him, that's why I, I, that's why the 24 collected him there. But, I, I mean, granted, I've drove, I've driven in the fence plenty of times in my career and will continue to probably drive in the fence multiple times. But I don't know how you put yourself being a playoff contender within the first 15 laps of a 500-mile race to hit the wall and end your day. Uh, no, it didn't end his day, but essentially his shot to run anything competitive is over. So I, I don't know. I'm sure if, I'm sure Alex Bowman would like to have that one back if he had another shot at it because it made for him a long day. He had issues off the jump because something happened with that car where it shut off under the caution laps and then he had to cycle it and then it started running rough. So from the jump, something was up with the 48 car before they even rolled off the grid. Yes, yes, there was definitely something going on there uh, early on. It was one of those things. We were going, I was going out with our camera guy to shoot on Rim Road and in the turns, and we had just gotten out to turn four to set up and get everything going, and I looked up, getting off the golf cart, and saw smoke. I was like, I couldn't even get the words out, like, oh, Bowman's wrecking. It was like, oh, <laughs> You just sort of point and make noises, like, Oh, okay. So. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think you ought to, uh, maybe you should sign up for MRN, Chuck. <laughs> Traveler's House, uh, turn 17. Oh, man, I, I didn't get it. And, an, and another, um, who was hammering, who was hammering McDowell to go to the next round of 12? I only said that okay. simply to, <laughs> I wanted your, your busy seltzers to be a little colder today. <laughs> Frozen. He was in, right in front of me and. Like I said, that new asphalt, it was crazy to me how much more grip that asphalt had than all the other asphalt. I thought it was kind of neat because you have, let's just call it 100% grip on the new asphalt, right? Because you're just locked down, the thing's digging, and you get off that patch, and it's 60% of that. And you could, I mean, in turn one, you're kind of modulating the throttle, you're probably half you're probably half throttle and you're sliding. It's almost a four wheel slide. And as soon as your car would hit that, that new asphalt, you could go right to the gas as hard as you possibly could. So I thought that made it fairly interesting. It might, it might've hurt passing a little bit cause you didn't get the different lines coming off of two, but it, it bit two of our uh, playoff contenders, one being Kyle Busch, the other one being the 34. Obviously the 34 had a tough road to hoe already going into Darlington, but it's, Probably an impossible road to hell unless he can win, obviously, Richmond or Bristol, which it seems to be unlikely. Now, on the flip side, Kyle Busch knows his way around Bristol, and he does Martinsville as well. So I do see Kyle Busch digging his way out of this and transferring to the next round. I don't. That's what I think. It doesn't look good, but that's what I think. 
Well, I mean, hell, he's got 14 wins between the two tracks, and he's only, what, a point out? So, the, you know, I think that, I think that uh, you couldn't tee this round up better to have a, have a mistake for him. And, and like, the, the guys that are behind really aren't, you know, Alex Bowman is tied on the cutoff line right now, you know, and he won the last race at Richmond. The problem that you see for like someone like him is he is very much so a confidence driver when confidence is high momentum is his way. He's, he's, uh, he's doing really well. He's not, he's, uh, you know, on the contrary, when momentum's not going his way, it seems to snowball. So when there's not confidence in that team, um, sometimes it turns bad and, you know, the playoffs, you see guys, you know, first, second time in the playoffs, it starts and you go to Darlington and they get a little bit nervous, get a little bit anxious. And that's where you see mistakes happen early. Like, like you said, you know, he's a 34 when he put tires on there, I think you put tires on too, right? As fast as he was going through the field, I'm like, holy shit, he's going to wreck this thing. Yeah. So caution came out lap 16 and there's only 10 laps to the, to the stage or the competition caution. So I think there was about six or seven guys that, put tires on and man you felt like superman we got back to i think that the 34 got to about seventh or eighth i got to about 11th and that was kind of what made set up my whole day where it gave us some track position we were able to manage it but obviously three of the 400 cars had a rough day the nine was surprising to me gotten that what was a three wide top with bubba and the 20 maybe cut a left front tire down uh they tried to merge off of four ultimately cut a tire down ended his day now can we talk about how hard will byron hit that sucker tried knocking the wall down it did it, he did, he was not successful but you know who else tried knocking the wall down kyle larson because that was something we have seen only once and something similar to that was kansas and carl edwards he was almost successful because you have to slow down so much to make turn three and not hit the wall. He just said, you know what? I'm going to rim ride this thing and floor it. And it was, he almost caught Dennis sleeping, to be honest with you. So that was a super exciting finish. And it got, it gave the fans, after those fans waited around for how long was the elapsed time? Over four hours. They deserve a finish like we witnessed. Jonathan, what did you think of that, that last lap escapade by Kyle Larson? Watching it in real time, I thought something happened to Denny. It almost looked like Denny, the way that the TV angle was, it looked like Denny ran out of gas or Denny went up the track and had some kind of an issue and that Larson just couldn't get down the track to avoid him and basically ran into the back of him. Then you go to the, they cut to the end car and he was like, oh, I gave it all I had. I tried to video game him right there. So that was that was the interesting part is like in real time trying to figure out what actually was going on and then going back and watching the replay and just watching Kyle send it as hard as he could into that corner. And it almost worked, dude. It almost, it almost did. And you know, it's funny. I was sitting over here at my mom and dad's house and dad's like, how about Kyle Larson wrecking a car? There's no driver's right mind to want to do that. I'm like, hang on a second, pop. It's not like he is dragging that car back to his garage and fixing it. Like, that car is obsolete. That's the last time that car will ever see the racetrack. Now, he's not taking into consideration all those. He's just going for it because that's just what he does. And that's why we all are starting to really appreciate Kyle Larson for what he is. But why not go for it? Like, Oh, I did. I did have the thought in the back of my head is like, well, I guess technically all four of the Hendrick cars wrecked before that race was over. So, I mean, they had to haul off the five on a on a, on a, a tow truck, 
at the end of the race race so you know well i don't know if kyle larson realized he had a tire down because he was you know he was still wide open trying to after the start finish line and just anticipating to make the corner like he had been for 367 laps before that and he had a right front down and smelayed the wall there too so that didn't feel good and that turn one was not friendly to all four except for bowman was in three but turn one the lady in black bit three of those hendrick cars this weekend now i was a little bit pessimistic on that shr train everybody knows i was saying sell any shr stock you might have it is bearish at best the closer proved me wrong. Top five run for Kyle, Kevin Harvick. First run of the playoffs. I knew you couldn't keep them down. Well, you, you've got two guys that last year were so dominant. Then when the playoffs hit, it's like they turn it on. Like Harvick was up front and was like, all right, we're going to see the closer do what he does. And then Denny, you know, is out front and leading a bunch of laps and gets the win. It's the guys that we saw last year that were so dominant are now starting to show up when it counts. I'm still not sold on Kevin, though. Like, Kevin's really good at Darlington. I mean, just one of his best racetracks as of late. So Richmond will be – Richmond yeah. and Bristol will be real tests. I, yeah. I don't think – he's not out of the woods with a with a top 10, top 5. Kevin Harvick's really terrible at Richmond, too. Not. He's one of the best that's ever done that. You know, he's, he's probably the best at, at hooking the bottom there. He's probably one of the best at hooking the bottom, and he's really good at Bristol, too. And you look at the Fords, the 750 packages have been their strong suit. I feel like, though, Harvick, now somebody can just pull up Brayson reference and prove me wrong in five seconds, but, like, I don't think that he has been very hot at Richmond over the past three to four years. Uh, I don't, you know, I, I, I might be wrong there, but there hasn't been a time – recently where I'm where Kevin Harvick was the guy to beat at Richmond now I think that's trended with the fall off at Phoenix too you look at the last race there he was in the mix top four and got a right rear flat and wrecked the hell out of his car but ever since Richmond kind of kind of moved to um not being like a disciplined hook the bottom with the tire they bring now and you kind of move up the racetrack that's where he's fallen off a little bit it seems like I, I could I could agree with that now now let's also I don't know if I said in in the last week's episode that the Stewart House both Stewart House cards wouldn't make it I probably did because I've been pretty bearish on them but I do think Kevin Harvick makes it into the round of 12 can't keep that guy down Chuck what you got I was just say Kevin Harvick is not one at Richmond in a Stewart Haas car the last time he won there was in 2013 in the 29 what a what a, what has his past four race results been he has started on the pole three times and started uh second so he started up front since 2018 fifth place second place fourth place seventh place seventh place and then 24th this year so top tens um he has he's finished outside of the top 10 in the past since 2015 one two three times Top tens can get you by the first round, but yeah. as the funnel starts to tighten up, especially with him not having any playoff points in the bank, top tens and top sixes aren't going to be what gets that four deep into the playoffs. So those guys are going to have to figure something out pretty quick. Well, one thing, one thing that we can touch on from this weekend, speaking of top tens and running the top ten consistently, is you know I just look at at where we where we ran. You know, we finished seventh. And then look where Blaney ran. He finished 22nd, right? 
between the playoff points, Blaney scored nine playoff points through the two or two state, the two stages. We didn't score any. So really from a seventh place finish to a 22nd place finish, we outpointed him yesterday by six points. So that's how, that's the importance of, of playoff points and what, you know, what that's going to make up here um, going, you know, making it to the next rounds, especially when these guys have problems, because you look at Will Byron, he's nine out. And then, all the way up to, to us, Keselowski, that's 21 points from eighth that Will Byron is in 15th. So that's, you know, that's two stages pretty much. And, and if, if you win two stages, that's 20 points on your day. So there's a lot to be made and lost. These stages are so important. So, yeah, just, just kind of hanging on and, and making, you know, having a blue-collar day like we had yesterday is awesome. And, you know, you have a good finish, but if you don't finish good in these stages, man, you're going to put yourself really far behind deep into this deal. I was going to say, is it is it too early to make your uh, pick and say, all right, these are the four drivers that are going to be out after this first round? You know, everybody likes to talk about that type of stuff. We've got one race. Is it too early to say that, you know, these four are going to be the ones out? Or are you taking, you're still going to say maybe it's Byron McDowell, Reddick and Almarola that Bowman and Kyle Busch are going to find a way to two of the bottom four, two of the bottom four right now are going to remain in the bottom four. I agree with that. And I said Byron and McDowell, um, and I'm going to stick with Byron and McDowell. Byron sounded a little defeated in his post-race interview. Like it just, he sounded like that, like he just he. Yeah, his bell was still ringing from smashing the wall at 165 miles an hour. <laughs> Shit hurts. That that's probably why he still had some tweet tweet birds fly swan around his head. Like what was that little cartoon character? Not Bugs Bunny. Now, granted, Chase also sounded uh, pissed off and a little bit defeated after his uh, day. Ended. Well, but he was. You know, when when you got when you're on the high side, you're put three wide at Darlington. I mean. Just about anybody be pretty pissed off. And, I mean, he had a good run, had a good car. When, I want to ask this. We, we talked about it a little bit before the show, but what is it about Darlington that, from a driver's perspective, that either, A, like you walk away having a great time because you had a, a good run there, but what is it about that track that just makes it so exciting and, and fun to watch but also fun to race? Those who follow me on Twitter, I put up something on the way down there. It's like you wait – like. It's not quite Christmas morning like the Daytona 500 is. It's but it's similar but but different in a way that where like you know that everything that you've learned is a race car driver from the time you were a kid until the day that you wake up yesterday morning like will be applied at some point in time over the over the course of 500 miles at Darlington. It's just restart aggressiveness. Green flag pit stop entries and exit, pit road rolling speeds, uh, modulate, moving around, trying to find grip when uh, rubber's laid down, transitioning from day to night. Like you will be tested to your 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 abilities emotionally, physically, um, all you know, mentally. It's just a grind, and that's the stuff that I get excited about because there's not many there's not many racetracks on a on the schedule that t- like. You can take certain runs off. You can take a couple laps off and kind of like recenter, but you can't take a corner off and and like refocus. You have to stay focused and locked in. 
the entire time because all it takes is a, a two-foot slip and you're in the fence. And 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 Chuck, when he was over, over at the house earlier, we were talking, it's like, Merriman, I don't, and you can chime in here. I feel like within reason, any race car driver, any like semi-professional race car driver that is, is decent could like jump into a cup car at Kansas, Michigan, Vegas, right? Fill in the blank and like run a cup, you know, a second or two, two seconds off. You know, when you get into the race craft is when it separates, but like anybody can get a car somewhat close to the edge of what the capability of the car is. You can't, you couldn't just hop in at Darlington and expect to be reasonably close. I mean, that place is so hard and it's so technical. And especially during the, the course of a run where the rubbers picked up from a restart, laid down over the course of the run. I mean, with 750 horsepower and no downforce, you're, I mean, you're almost in a four wheel drift the entire time. So I love it that it almost, there's not a way to explain how, like how it shows who the professionals are and like how amateurs can do it. We almost probably saw it head to head with the truck series. Like there was like 97 wrecks and guys running all over each other because those guys are amateurs. You fast forward to the main event Sunday night and it's evident which guys are professionals getting paid a lot of money to do it. So I like Darlington because in the end it separates the men from the boys. I think, I think for me, like if you, if you really want to break it down and think about it, right? Like when we went away from practice and qualifying, I thought that made the racing better, right? Didn't have that this weekend. When there is a race that transitions from day to night and it's really hot during the day and you have the comers and goers, so to speak, I feel like that makes the racing better. It makes it interesting. The same guys who are up front early aren't up front at the end. There's parity. Combine that with the fact that that racetrack just kills tires and you have to manage it and you're not flat out around there the whole time and there's nuance to it, I think you have the perfect storm. Uh, and I think if you had practice and qualifying, it wouldn't change a ton uh, because the track changes so much. But I think, I think the reason that last night's race was so good and the reason that we look forward to going back to Darlington is because it always produces consistent, challenging racing. It's one of the most historic, oldest places that we go to. And it's amplified by the playoffs. I mean, half the playoff field tore the race cars up yesterday. So we're going into two short tracks and I mean, we don't know what to expect and it was all provided by, you know, a crown jewel racetrack that we've been going to for 70 years. I'm glad you brought that word up crown jewel, because I think we all could agree collectively that the Southern 500 is a crown jewel. We could also collectively agree that some race distances are too long and there are some races that need to be marathons. The Southern 500, the Coke 600, the Daytona 500. You can't even make much of more of a case for any other beyond that. And I could even make a case for all of them to be shorter than all that. But there needs to be periodically races like that that are four hours, or if not more, just grinding it out. Um, you know, that might not be the most visually appealing to the fans. Let's just say for, you know, for instance, Darlington, 
bar the finish when you have cars spread out, but you have some guys sliding around. Some people might not call that a good race, even though it got 92% on Jeff Gluck's Was It A Good Race poll, one of the best ones I've seen. Um, I think people like to see cars slide around. I think they like to see the drivers in there working. Now, if that only means that 14 cars are on a lead lap occasionally, so be it. So I think you have to play – you have to have the pendulum swung back from the entertainment value that you get with the 550 package at a Michigan per se, swing it back to whatever the side you want to call it of like – the roots, like what we do it for, right? The sliding around, the elbows up, like, you know, that, like we need to, doesn't need to happen every week, but occasionally it does. The pendulum does need to swing like we saw it on, on last night at, at Darlington. So Nashville was the same way. It's the man versus machine element of a few races a year are important. I wanted to go back more a little bit to what the Coca-Cola 600 used to be, where is this car going to make it that 600-mile distance before the engine? Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. Expires. Like, that's the type of stuff to me that is, it's fascinating. Like, yes, that side-by-side beating and banging, that's fun to watch. But the sort of, like, edge of your seat, can the car make it that far? Will the tires hold? Will all of these things come together? And will this driver be able to make it to the finish? That's almost just as intriguing to watch to me. And I had that same conversation, Corey, with one of our camera guys. Now, granted, for the camera guys, it was a long day. There was a truck race and then, you know, the cup race, and it's the longest cup race of the year. And they were like, oh, man, we need to shorten these races. And I was like, no, the Southern 500 needs to be the Southern 500. The Coca-Cola 600 needs to be the Coca-Cola 600, Daytona 500. All like you need to have those. That is what this sport was built on. That is what this sport will go forward on. Period. End of sentence. You can change other things around. You can shift other things, but those are the staples that made NASCAR what it is. And I'm, you know, all for honoring that tradition and keeping that going. Because yes, it's a long day. 
Yes, it sucks. Yes, it's hot. But guess what? That sunset over the track at Darlington is amazing. The color is beautiful. The cars pop at night when it comes to life. The red and white stripes, that sensation of speed as the cars are going around. I'm getting goosebumps talking about it right now. I love Darlington. I love the long races, and I'm not afraid to say it. Yes, Chuck. Well, <laughs> yes. Soapbox. Fire Soapbox. me up. <laughs> Chuck's about to go reenact the 1985 Southern 500. Fun fact. Fun fact. There is an old, there's old footage of one of the old... Uh, darlington uh like newsreels and they had a reenactment a civil war reenactment on the front stretch oh yeah yeah like it was like in the 1960s and it was just this is some of some of those uh old newsreels are a little uh dated um but there's some great footage in there and we've actually high-res not high-res rescanned the film of a lot of those and they're on nascar's youtube page so you can go see those glorious 1970s race cars in all their high definition glory some of them are in 4k but uh, yeah. so i'm I've, i'm gonna follow up on what i asked you before since we're getting nostalgic mainly because i didn't like the answer you gave me and b because i want to clip it out and put it on nascar.com so think about this so we we talk about the nostalgia of darlington and all that so you come out and really you know i can remember back to coke 600 two years ago three years ago maybe and you you come out in the 32 car and i think you finished sixth or seventh in that race so you're no stranger to to placing above you're punching above your weight class in those but to do it at darlington and to have a hall of famer who's won at darlington in mark martin kind of call you out and put some attention on you in the spotlight knowing that you know, your dad's been in this sport a long time. I'm sure you've, in some capacity, been around Mark because he whipped everybody's ass in the Xfinity Series there for a long time. So what's it mean? And you don't like to talk about yourself, we know. Uh, but what's it mean for you to, to have a guy like that take notice of you, not just anywhere in the Southern 500, punching above your weight class and, and sending a tweet out about it? Yeah, I mean, I think that when you – Take a run from last week at Daytona, right? It's, it's easy to like discredit, you know, a speedway run, you know, like because you see some outlier wins and stuff like that, and guys run good that usually don't. But to back up, you know, what w- being in contention to win at Daytona last week with a top 10 day, uh, start pretty much start to finish, you know, I think that validates what we're doing as a team. Um, and it also goes to show that, man, at the end of the day, you're only as good as the horse you're sitting on. Like, I am, you know, have I got a little bit better over the course of the year and we figured out a balance with our cars and tweaked on them and make them better and, and all the above? Like, yeah, but, you know, there's nothing I'm doing different now in September than I was doing different in March, right? So we have just found the aero balance of these cars. We figured out what makes them turn, what makes them go, what gives them grip, better shock packages, you know, and and my guys and Ryan Sparks leading the group over there. Like, you're only as good as the horse you're sitting on. If that son of a bitch don't want to run, it ain't going to run. And we had a really good horse last week, and we had a really good horse this week. So I'm able to show, you know, like, I don't like talking about myself, but like, six seven years ago when i'm racing guys head to head like you know kyle larson and i go go down to the wire of a k&n championship i lose by one point right like we're racing out of the seat shop in the back with me and me and a high school buddy working on it um you know 
Brett, Brett Moffitt, Daniel Suarez, Bubba Wall, Chase Elliott, all these guys were racing at the same time. And, you know, I won five races that year. Now, that's a whole lifetime ago, granted. And those guys have developed and they've worked with better people and, and have developed their skills on another level. So, um, you know, that it who's to say where we are now? But apples to apples, I can keep pace with the majority of them. Like, I'm not worried about if I can do the job. I know I can do the job. And I've been able to, over the last couple of weeks and, and the last couple of months, for that matter, show uh, that I do belong. But I think for for me, gaining respect, because those guys have to see me up there racing with those guys on a consistent basis to, you know, give me the give me the breaks, just, give, you know, work with me and also just not, you know, just realize that I'm up there to stay. And that takes time. But for guys, to your point, like Mark Martin, when those guys start acknowledging and start giving you shout outs on, on Twitter or social media or just even text you, like that stuff makes you feel good. You know, it makes makes you feel like people are noticing and all the hard work you're putting behind the scenes, trying to get better, trying to trying to, you know, uh encourage your guys to continue to build good better race cars every week, like it's starting to pay off. And it really v- validates the decision I made to go to Spire. You know, in November, I wanted to build something and we didn't have much to begin with, but I thought we were gonna be a top twenty consistently team by the end of the year. And and we're doing that, and that's what that's what validates my decisions. That's what makes ultimately feel feel the best about it. I'm just realizing this now too. Like Mark's career path wasn't his his career path was the complete opposite of what Kyle Busch's is. Right? I think that's what a lot of people think now coming in. That oh, everybody's just they get a they get a ride when they're eighteen, nineteen, twenty years old. There are guys out there like you struggling, and so that's what's cool with me. Like. When you see Mark Martin tweeting at your buddy, hey, Corey LaJoy's, you know, he's busting ass right now in the top 10. It's cool to see that to somebody who also went through it acknowledging someone who's going through it and building. Well, you don't have to, you know, get your big break, quote unquote, when you're 18 or 19. A lot of people, myself included, I wouldn't have been ready on a, uh, on a maturity level to be able to handle the stress that comes along with the, the money and, the you know, the the you know, the, the situation that Joey was in trying to follow up Tony Stewart, like there's not many people that would be able to hold that, hold that candle. Um, you know, and, and I know I wouldn't be still in the sport had I, you know, been in a position like that. So, you know, statistically speaking, a, a peak of a driver's career is not till they're 38, nine years old. So, you know, I, I'm still learning every weekend and I, I, ultimately plan on being here till I'm 38, 9, 40 years old. And it's not like I'm going to win in the cup series. It's not a matter of if like I'm going to do it. And, you know, weekends like yesterday uh, just show like, okay, like, you know, Tyler Reddick, two-time Xfinity series champion, right? I'd run him down, pass him at probably one of his statistically best racetracks. Like I can do it. You know, it's like, I, I didn't, question my abilities but it finally people are starting to realize like oh okay like Corey's actually pretty good he's not just a podcast guy he's actually a pretty good race car driver chuck you've been looking like you've been holding holding something back for five minutes what do you guys say i was gonna say like caution falls a different way right like pit cycles fall just a slightly different way and you're in that seventh eighth position you're in a, you, you're there with a the shot so that's that's the thing like if you're consistently there with a the shot Things start to fall your way. You, you, we've seen it with all of these these drivers. Joey Logano didn't 
become Joey Logano that we know now till he got older, right? Like, every thought, every, there, there, there was a time where people were like, oh, Joey's a bit of a bust. And then he goes to Penske, and no, he's not a bust. He's, you know, definitely a boom. And I think a lot of times we put too much pressure on who's the next best youngest thing coming up instead of, you know, the talent that is there and appreciating what is there and just knowing that it takes, there are few and far between good rides for good drivers to get in. And there is a lot of talent in the cup field to take those seats. So you're fighting and clawing for every inch. You could argue 31 to 32 guys in the cup series could jump into a, you know, like any, not any Xfinity car, a race winning Xfinity car and do the same job that, you know, any other guy winning an Xfinity series race. Like you've seen guys win Xfinity series races that are mediocre in the cup series. Like guys on Sunday afternoon are different level, man. Like they just are better race car drivers so when people measure like people's barometer of how to measure if somebody's good or not they need to take into consideration what they're driving who like what the people are working on it because like it's you can't make up the difference in the seat on a sunday you can make up a little bit on saturday in the xfinity series but every guy on sunday is driving their particular car majority of the time to what it's capable of going so you don't get those big 10 position swings very often if somebody's car is not capable of doing it. So it's, it's hard to explain that to the fans, but you know, people have to take into consideration like alliances and engine deals and budgets and all this stuff. Uh, when they want to really evaluate if somebody's good at driving a race car professionally or not. And it's, it's, that's what we, that's why we're really doing this show because uh, that's the stuff I like to kind of talk about and I'm living it. So if I can, uh, you know, peek a little behind the curtain uh, of of my life as well as some other people's life, that's what I love to do. And I know Ryan speaks on this stuff pretty well. So, and he's been a driver himself. He usually talks about it pretty well. So, like, how do you, Ryan, like when you think of somebody's underperforming or overperforming versus somebody in Xfinity Series, how do you like tell if somebody has what it takes? Well, you look at like look at another guy who had a really standout run yesterday for his year was Ryan Priest, right? Ryan Priest is a good race car driver. Ryan Priest is one at the Xfinity level. He's won a truck race this year. He goes up there and wins on the modified tour, you know, which is not easy to do either with his own stuff. He he runs, you know, he's going to run the snowball derby this year. He he does stuff like that. He's not a he's not a B level guy, right? Um and the you look at a guy like Joey um, who had, he just needed to have different people around him that gave him confidence to, to reach his max potential. My biggest takeaway from what you guys are doing and kind of uh, where your team is now is like sparks, you and sparks sparks was a new crew chief last year with 32, right? You guys have assembled a group there. It's one thing to have a good run and drive into the top 10 driving to the top 15 it's another thing to run there all day at the southern 500 right and to put a whole complete race together you know the one thing that we talk about as a group when we go to the southern 500 is like hey 60 percent of these guys are going to take themselves out of it so even if we're not running good if we just don't take ourselves out of it we're going to be there at the end 
So, and that was the biggest takeaway yesterday when we were driving home and you talked to Joey, he said, oh, I looked in my mirror and oh, every shoe was good, you know, uh, you were on tires and then you just never went away. And I was like, holy shit, he's doing it, you know? So that was like, that, that's what's impressive. Like anybody can drive up there, have a good run. To, to, we had 11 pit stops yesterday. We probably had 15 different cycles and restarts. So to be able to do all that, not put yourself in a bad position where you get a left front flat and pound the fence, not, that, that shows maturity. So, you know, and it shows that your whole team is, you know, your, your pit crew has been an issue this year. You know, and they hung on and they they competed right with the best of them yesterday. So it's nice to see that, you know, the the high tide is is raising the ships over there. Absolutely. I'm glad glad you brought that up because we have a lot of great stuff in pit road boats and woes to cover. Stand by. We'll get to that right after the break. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. And we're back. Pit Road Boats and Woes. Love to see it. My good friend Ryan Flores changed tires on Saturday for Austin Sindrick on the 22, as well as Brad Kozlowski on Sunday. So long week. How's the body feeling after a week at Darlington? feel pretty good today. I've had, thought that this morning. You know, this is my today, which is my 34th birthday. So I'm, yeah. uh, I've always been I'm a bad out. friend. I forgot to wish tell everybody we're going to sing you happy birthday at the end of the show. Yeah, so I feel pretty good for an old 34-year-old. Um, but, yeah, no, I felt woke up feeling good. I, you know, you and I have been working with the same nutritionist and kind of the same training program, so uh, nice to see that paying off. But, uh, but yeah, both races for us were both just grinds. You know, didn't have a great car in the Xfinity race, and didn't have great track position, and you know, we didn't really have great pit stops. But, man, that deal is coming. That deal – Sometimes I feel like that deal's got more pressure than our cup deal. Um, you only get three or four stops to get it right, and they're in a tussle right now with the 16 car for the uh, regular season championship, which pays a bunch of points and some money. So, uh, so yeah, we grind it. We ground it out. That was a pit road woe for the 16 guys having the pit kind of with two to go because they didn't have enough lug nuts on the car. They would have got disqualified. So two to go, they had to come. Yeah, we had like a we had like a caution with like call it eight to go so by the time we were coming back to green it was five to go and they took the green and they got to second and i guess that's when they finally reviewed the the helmet camera and they're like hey we got to come here we don't have enough lug nuts on this thing to make it through tech so he, he came he tried to come to pit road what we talked about last week he missed the missed the entrance to pit road you know because it's so far down there then the caution came out so it kind of saved him from going a lap down not a great day he went from being about 
I don't know, probably 20 points ahead to being, you know, we're within one or two now. So obviously in a money stop, you're more, you're more than likely hitting five now just because you don't want a penalty. But like, do, is it like a mistake or is it like a jack dropping too early on the left side? Like the majority of the time, what happens when multiple lug nuts are left off? All right. There's a ton of things that can happen. You can cross thread a nut, right? That happens quite a bit. Um, there, there are points and times in the race where a lot of these teams are just hitting four lug nuts. It's just faster in the middle of the race. You know, if you need track position, just hit four. Um, and, and if you're pushing the, the boundaries, hell, sometimes you drop it with three, you know, and, and that you kind of pay the penalty yourself there. They tend to shake more loose on the rear, um, cause of drive load than they do in the front. Uh, if you, if you only say you only get three tight or four tight but um but yeah you know it's it's a slippery slope and it's it's one that um that's only going to be played for nine more weeks you know but uh xfinity stuff you you just got to be tight and right especially with with the you don't have as many pit stops you just you know last night we did 11 stops there's a lot of time to make mistakes and and clean it up kind of getting a rhythm Xfinity. If you have a, you know, you, you lose track position once it's hard to get it back because the races and the stages are so, so short. So yeah, you, you gotta make sure on that last stop, the awareness has to be high from your changers and from your Jackman to not ship that thing with, uh, without lug nuts on it. So one thing we talk about on here often, and actually is kind of where stacking pennies came from. Um, it came from trying to figure out things, over the course of the weekend that you could quantify as a win. And one of the easiest things to do that was to look at pit road rolling speed. So because it doesn't matter how fast your car is, doesn't matter how slow it is, doesn't matter if you have a cylinder down, you can run your lights and push it and try to maximize the speed on pit road up to the speed limit, right? There's a lot of time to be gained or lost there on pit road also comes into play with pit box selection some other things like that so sparks sent me the top five cars on average rolling speed last night as, as you mentioned there's 11 pit stops so 11 opportunities to give up a lot of time on pit road some green flag some yellow flag stops the 12 who is mind you in the first pit box which certainly matters for rolling speed and i'll let you explain why um and I was in the second pit box, and he was the he was the fastest rolling speed. I was the second fast rolling speed. Then it was the eighteen, the five, and the forty two. Um, so when you when you combine all that stuff, stuff like that is what maintains your track position on green flag restart or green flag sequences. But also explain why being in one of those front side of pit road boxes helps for for rolling speed overall. Ian, it's a huge deal. Because you're, I mean, you're talking about gaining tenths in the pit box, right? And you, you can gain a second on rolling time and lose seconds on rolling time. So where, where you stop, you know, in pit stall two, where you're at there, some tracks, depending on where the, where the timing line is and the pit road exit line is, how far your box is from there, it makes a huge difference. And Darlington is one of the ones where pit stall one is a huge advantage, and when you're in pit stall two and there's nobody in front of you, like a lot of your cycles, you had to clean out. Either Blaney was already gone or uh, you were on a different cycle than him. It's basically like having pit stall one. You don't have to slow down and speed up again. You, you are you are not you're taking that time out from 
not going maximum pit road speed, right? You're still accelerating pretty much when you get out of the box. Um, I can only imagine, I think about it often, how hard it is to watch your lights and not run people over, uh, not only in cars, but just uh, just running out in front of you. And I watched, uh, you know, a couple of our helmet cams and watched how tight you were to the 17 a couple times. And it, it's, it definitely does not look easy, but dude, there's so much time to be gained and lost there more so on green flag stops than anything. Cause if you have a bad execution on rolling time green flag stops, that's the difference between getting caught a lap down and not if there, if there's an untimely caution or, you know, just, just staying on the lead lap, which is the name of the game. Um, in a lot of those, you know, with these races we go to where people either two pitted or three pitted. Those are the things that it's easy to take off, but the ones that could change an entire day. So uh, it was cool that, you know, I think that might have been the first time I've been in the top three in pit road rolling speeds. And I think that just comes along with, you know, when the car's driving good, you're plugged in, you're feeling, you know, kind of happy. Uh, and you not saying you put a little bit more effort towards it, but you're wanting to get every ounce of, uh, you know, advantage you can, especially that. Now, I don't know if we've actually explained, you know, for the people who don't really know the, what the lights are uh, on, a, on a cup dash. There's a bar of lights some have circles. There's probably 12 circles. Uh, some guys have bars, but it's based off your RPMs, right? And your engineer sets it to the RPM, to the revolutions of your tire versus the pit road length to set it to uh, your pit road speed. It, it's not like you have a speedometer in your car to say if pit road speed max is 44 or 45, you, it does not, it does not going to tell you if you're on 44.9. You have like an rpm number you're trying to hit and which is linked to those lights so we said ours will have to be you know five green lights and i can flash one red light and that's kind of how i gauge if i'm over or under if i take too much of a red light i gotta give a green light back scenario so everybody has their own kind of way of doing it uh but it's it's not it's not easy especially when there's 30 have 40 boxes 40 pit signs on pit road all lit up it gets pretty tricky if you're not in a in a pretty well lit or uh a, an accessible pit road do you, so do you feel like so i guess i guess we could start a little debate here do you feel like that's a better way of doing things and and uh more competitive way of doing things than just putting a pit road speed limiter like an f1 car an indy car would have yeah, I, I like I like the fact of not having a limiter. Don't uh, you know? It takes a little bit of it out. I mean, I think if you just go in there and you hit a button and it just goes beam 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 all the way down pit road, like you're taking some of the some of the games away. Uh, you know, I think that you're taking an area that you can maximize and and also make a mistake. And I feel like if you, I think we have to put as many opportunities. I think that's why people like seeing new racetracks on the schedule because it's just new it's more opportunities for variables so that's another variable i feel like nascar should keep which they are i believe with the next gen car and yeah i would hate to see that go away and just and give a pit road button so i i think a lot drivers collectively probably probably agree with that as well what do you think do you want a pit road button what do you want i think that at the highest level of any sport you have to give opportunity for people, you have to give every opportunity you can for people to be better or be worse than everybody else. And that just gives you another opportunity to either outperform or be outperformed. So I love it. I love it as well. Uh, stay tuned. We got some questions coming up on Twitter. Maybe a little penny for your thoughts as well. Spare change coming right up.
All right, guys, you know what time it is. It's time for jackpot races. I believe, Merriman, correct me if I'm wrong, Ice Cold Blue Mountain Takes, I had the 11 this week, and I was a prophet. He got it done this week. I didn't listen to the show last week, so I couldn't tell you. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I think you you were right. Yeah, you were uh, you were right. I was wrong. Uh, I owe a couple people lunch on account of that. I didn't think Denny was going to win this year, but he got it done when he needed to. I mean, Denny's Denny gets his first win of the season when it matters the most in the playoffs. So it, you know, we're going to Richmond where he is strong. Like, is that someone that you're going to keep? doubling down on i guess uh as the as this round goes on and as the playoffs go on denny's strong at richmond um and i, I don't know if i you know now that he's got the monkey off his back and he doesn't have to continue answering all these questions like when you're gonna win when you're gonna win now he's got a little bit of stage points obviously punched his ticket to the round 12 um but those stage points are going to be Way more crucial now. Obviously, he he hauls ass at Bristol as well, so he's going to be loaded for bear these next two races to go get some stage points as well as these race wins to try to put some playoff points in the bank. So what's the first round of jackpot races? All right, so we got Kyle Larson, Denny Hamlin, uh, Kyle Busch. Uh, so he's not out of this beep uh, right now. Uh, we got Chase Elliott, Martin Truex Jr., and Joey Logano, and maybe Levi LaJoy. Yeah, he's in the background. What do you think, bud? Huh? I don't know. Yep, that's what I'm going with. Uh, I mean, how you, how can you not take Kyle Larson? He's just good everywhere. I don't think I don't think Denny wins again this weekend. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how the five ran. I should have done my research. Ryan, I'm sure he has all the references pulled up. I don't know who is he hammering this weekend in that first round. I'm uh, I'm taking the uh, the 22. Him and the 11 had a good race here. Um, the 48 just had awesome fire off speed. Um, the 11 and the 22 kind of worried about each other, and the 48 snuck by on a late race restart. So I think the 22 um, usually pretty strong here at Richmond. So that's what I'm going with. Company man. Hey man, I was at New Hampshire with the same package when he made up two laps from the top five. He was fast. Group two, this is an interesting one. I think there's a, there are two clear, well, really one clear favorite, but it hasn't been running that well lately. William Byron, Ryan Blaney, Brad Keselowski, Kevin Harvick, Alex Bowman, Christopher Bell. I don't know. I don't know. This is just tough because, right, you don't know if Harvick's going to back-to-back perform. Keselowski is who I would pick here, uh, even though, you know, I'm not going to say it. Everybody who listens knows the joke. Uh, but, uh, I mean, I'd hammer the two this week. A defending race winner, buddy. The two will be strong. Um, man, I, I can't go back on my SHR bearish prediction. So as much as I think that the four might be a decent pick this weekend, I'm not going to go with him. Chuck uh, knows that Ryan doesn't get around Richmond very often, very great. He doesn't have a whole lot of confidence rolling in there, so I'm not going to go with the 12. So I don't know. Um, is Bowman in that group? Bowman is in that group, and that's who I was. That that's who I was looking at. I'm I'm between Bowman and Harvick, really, kind of where you where you were leaning. And since you lean towards Bowman, I'm going to lean towards Harvick and say that you know what we saw at Darlington is kind of a light of what's to come in the playoffs. We need to band together and tell people who they they need to pick. We, if we all choose somebody different. <laughs> 
we're not helping our listeners pick the right people and win $25,000. Okay, you want my gut reaction then? Like, based off of that, like, I think Bowman rebounds from Darlington and does well out of this group. I, You know, like we said, I think Denny Hamlin does go back-to-back and gets the win, and I think Bowman does well and, and bounces back. I agree with those two picks. The 11 and the 48 would be strong. One more group, Mary Moore, we got. Uh, Tyler Reddick, Austin Dillon, they always seem to be paired together. Kurt Busch, Eric Almarola, Matt DiBenedetto, Michael McDowell. Uh, I'm between Reddick and Bush on this. Chuck, who you got? You know who I got. You know who I got. The num- yeah. un- numero uno, Curtis. Um, Curtis Bush. I hope he runs well because I have relatively the same car and chassis and body build that he will have at Richmond. So if the one one runs well, then hopefully the old seven runs well. So just because of that, I'm going to go with the one as well. Are you guys not going to respect the last short track winner we had? Is that just a fluke? The 10 car? Uh, is New Hampshire a short track? I'm going to vote no on that. I'll say, short track I'll say Richmond is... Is Richmond a short track? I mean, it yeah, ain't I Hickory. So. It ain't it ain't Hickory, but it's a it's. I mean, in the grand scheme of the Cup Series, it's a short track. Merriman, if you're not if you're saying Richmond is a short track and New Hampshire isn't a short track, is that what you were saying? Did I hear you right on that? Well, one's three quarters of a mile and one's one mile. I think the one mile would be the cutoff. Yeah. So, guys, we fired up a new segment here. It's going to be like you know, kind of like Ash Junior questions. I just sat, I was sitting in my hammock chair, had this idea, hit me like a lightning bolt. We're going to call it a penny for your thoughts, questions every week that y'all tweet at us and Chuck will read to me and I will answer briefly. All right. So this one, there, there've been a couple that have been in this sort of, in this vein, but this one comes from, uh, at in Henry two ten. Do you feel that mo- the momentum you guys are building this year will help you next year? And what would have to happen to get that A motor package all next year? I want to see the number seven in victory lane one day. Go get them shoe. Hashtag penny for your thoughts. Like it. Love it. Um, so I, absolutely the progress we're making in just terms of, you know, preparation of the cars, Hawkeye, um, efficiency, getting to the racetrack, kind of knowing the boundaries to push in terms of body and stuff like that, that, you know, all the guys that are competing for wins are doing, you know, the, the figuring out the process of what makes our cars competitive week in and week out certainly will apply for next year. So, you know, that's what we were doing it for. We, you know, this is a kind of a lame duck year uh, with these cars and, and engines. So um, in, in terms of the aid motors, uh, our our goal is to you know continue to get some more partners and have some people step up that we can. It's about a, I don't know exact figures, but I'm guessing it's about a twenty thousand dollar a week difference uh, to get an A motor. It's in the realm of a hundred thousand dollars a lease per weekend is about what an A motor costs. Sometimes a little bit more, sometimes a little less, and uh, and we're a little bit less than that with with the spec that we have, but. Um, well, we have good we have good power, but you know, you're if the only there's two things that make race cars go fast: downforce and horsepower. Uh, the guy who has more downforce and more horsepower will go faster than the guy who doesn't have as much of either. So, question number one, Penny, for your thoughts. There you have. It. All right, next one comes from at Froggy sixteen. Is it more important to have the respect of current 
retired, or all drivers? Hashtag Penny for your thoughts. I saw that a question. It was it made me think a little bit because the easy answer to that is active drivers, right? The ones you're running rubbing elbows with week in and week out. But for the for the guys like a Mark Martin, like a Donnie Allison, Bobby Allison, guys that you look up, Jimmy Johnson, right? Like Jeff Gordon. I would love to have earn those guys respect in what I'm doing behind the wheel of a race car. That, that I mean, that would that's what I'm doing it for, right? I'm, I'm doing it to be competitive and earn a living and all the above. But you know, if you can turn, you know, and, and perk Mark Martin's eyebrows up enough and run well enough at Darlington where he gives you a shout out, that's pretty damn cool. So, you know, I don't think that any group, active, retired, or Hall of Fame guys are any more or less important. So, anybody's anybody's respect is is hard earned and and um you know appreciated we'll do like what two more of these or all right two more of these how how about this one right here it comes from vilkas 777 what's the biggest surprise or challenge about racing the guys at the front now that you're up there regularly or do you feel like you have to race playoff drivers differently I didn't think that I had to race playoff guys differently last night. I'm, I'm sure Tyler Reddick wished I would, where I was racing his butt off for that for that tenth place stage finish and a stage point. Tyler was on the show last week. I probably should have given it to him when I went back and looked at it. I'm like, nah, that's kind of like selfish. But at that particular time, I was amped up, feeling good. Our car was driving good. He was starting to get a little loose, so I wanted to get up there and earn a stage point because they don't come very often, by God. So got the stage point. So that kind of answers the question of racing playoff guys different than other guys the some of the things you learn racing in the first you know call it five rows of a of, of the field is like the tricks on restarts bringing guys down slow how they position their cars the first couple corners uh to get air on their race cars is some of the stuff that you don't normally see you know when you're on the 10th row on back so you know the the choose is more critical um, you know, there's way more throttle time because the field doesn't get bogged down from the accordion effect. So, you know, a lot of stuff you learn when you're up there with the big dogs for sure. All right. And then here's one. It's, it's a would you rather question. Would you rather drive a top tier car? And this comes from Swizzle24, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. Um, would you rather drive a top tier car for five races? So like a Hendrick, a Gibbs, or a Penske car for five races a year, but nothing else other than that or drive a lower level car, someone that's in the back, you know, 25th and back um, for an entire season? So I thought about that question because I think that it's, I think not everybody should answer it the same because five years ago, I'm glad I made the decision to drive a 25th and back team to gain experience for when I, if and when I do get an opportunity in a team that can compete consistently for wins, I'm ready. Um, because if I hopped in a Hendrick car five times, five years ago, I would run like a soup sandwich because it's just, you, you don't know what you don't know. But now if, if 2022, if January 1st comes up and I have to make a choice between running a Hendrick car five times or running a, you know, 30th and below call it a team, um, I would choose the Hendrick. I would choose the Hendrick car five times now, but Two year, three years ago, I probably would have answered the latter. And one last one. This comes from Caleb with a bunch of numbers behind his name. How did you get your hair so luscious? Because I noticed this when you took your hat off for driver intros at, at, at Darlington. The mane was popping. Yeah. It was dialed yesterday. 
just like our Chevy Camaro dialed. Just condition it, man. You got to condition it. Put a little leave-in conditioner. Um, you know, my ex-podcast host, Daryl Mott, he's the hair uh, stylist himself, so I get my hair hair tips from Daryl Mott. Things Kale never said. Things Kale never used, said. He, well, Kale never had a lot of hair. He, but. he, was, he was, yeah. He was pretty bald, but if he had hair, he would not be rubbing conditioner in it, nor getting pedicures. But, you know, it's a new age driver, man. Jeff Gordon came in and changed it up for everybody. He went a little metro now. I got conditioned hair and pedicures. It's not just the shoe. It's the hat, too. You gotta, It's the whole package. It's the whole It's the whole deal. Anybody got any spare change? No, I saw this on Facebook, and you should do it with your next uh, Schluter system car. This is a sink faucet as a gear shifter. My luck that shit would break off first restart and I'd have my hand gnawed off. And there you have it. A new segment. Penny for your thoughts. We must keep, we're going to keep sticking with that. So keep sending uh, questions into that hashtag. Penny for your thoughts. We'll keep checking up with that hashtag throughout this week and next. Going to Richmond this weekend. Super excited. September 11th weekend. Uh, it should be super patriotic as we remember uh, everybody involved in that event. So, see y'all next week. Sag and Penny. Review, rate, subscribe, all stuff. Talk to y'all next week.